you know, occasionally somebody will find me or ask me about the show. It always surprises me since it's been such a long time ago. But I know there are, you know, radio buffs out there, and I certainly appreciate the fact that they remember it or want to know about it. Arizona Republic, June 11, 1973. You'll like what Cool FM has in store for you. The station has bought the brand new radio drama series, The Zero Hour, which promises to revive the good old days, but in a modern format. Announcing the new series was E. Morgan Skinner Jr., promoted last week from Cool AM account executive to Cool FM assistant station manager. Judging from the pilot tape, it should be an interesting show. Each story lasts a week. A half-hour episode is presented nightly, Monday through Friday, with the climax coming on Friday. A new show starts the following Monday. Cool has bought 26 weeks of the series, all that Hollywood Radio Theater has available so far. The program originally was to be started in mid-June, but the unsettled Writers Guild of America strike apparently has created some delay. Current plans are to begin in mid-July. Each show will be broadcast at 7.30 p.m. on Cool FM, and then rebroadcast on Cool AM at 10.30 p.m. But that's during television's primetime, you say. That's the whole point. Zero Hour is contemporary, but reflective of radio's golden era, said Skinner. And they're doing the thing in such a way as to leave people free to utilize their minds. By beginning in July, it takes the series into the fall to compete against new TV shows. A lot of us have become disenchanted with what television has to deliver. It's going to be interesting to see what a top-quality radio series will do against primetime TV. The quality of this show is superb. It's crisp and well done. Hollywood Radio Theater is the brainchild of J.M. Kolos, a veteran in the advertising and communications field. Rod Serling hosts the series. The first episode, titled The Wife of the Red-Haired Man, stars Patty Duke Aston, John Aston, and Howard Duff. The yarn is about the pursuit of a dead couple. Duff, of course, does the pursuing. Jack Swanson. Jazz and talk, 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 jazz and talk. Are you ready for the ultimate test? Are you safe? The time is now on the Hollywood Radio Theater. This is the Zero Hour. The Hollywood Radio Theater. Every day at this time, Monday through Friday, a J.M. Colas Enterprises production, The Hollywood Radio Theater, presents an unusual tale of mystery and suspense. Every week, Monday through Friday, the Hollywood Radio Theater presents... I'm Rod Serling. You're listening to The Zero Hour. Rest your eyes. Exercise your imagination. This week, Bill S. Ballinger's best-selling novel of the pursuit of a damned couple. The wife of the red-haired man. 
and Howard Duff. In Elliot Lewis's production of The Zero Hour. This week's story draws its title from an ancient Irish poem. Here's the last verse. But the day of doom shall come and the hills and harbors be rent. A mist shall fall on the sun from the dark clouds heavily sent. The sea shall be dry and the earth under mourning and ban. Then loud shall he cry for the wife of the red-haired man. It's the tale of the hunted and the hunter, the pursuer and the pursued, the stalking of life and death. Do you believe, as I do, that the hunter and his quarry build an empathy between them, a sympathy? As the chase builds toward the inevitable conclusion, is it possible that, subconsciously, they become aware of each other's moves, counter-moves, plans, even emotions? There are two individuals who will tell you that's so. The poet and the cop. Our story begins after this word. WRVR is proud to announce a new Saturday night series. It's Flipside, every Saturday night from 7.30 to 8 o'clock. You'll hear your favorite rock, folk, and pop stars singing their songs and sharing their thoughts. It's Flipside, it's Blood, Sweat, and Tears, Stevie Wonder, Roberta Flack, Yusef Latif, The Fifth Dimension, Dr. Hook and the Medicine Show, John Lennon and Yoko Ono. Okay. It's Edgar Winter and Judy Collins and Richie Havens and Curtis Mayfield. It's Flipside, Saturdays at 7.30 on WRVR. Picture this, a windy, rainy November night in New York City. A man about 30, his most identifiable feature, a crest of flaming red hair, stands in a public telephone booth. Destination is East Bandu's place, 
a small exclusive street near the river, where large apartments cost a lot of money. Inside one of them, a married couple, Albert and Mercedes Turner. You're very quiet. What? Oh, am I? I'm sorry. Would you care to tell me who called? There wasn't anyone. I heard you asking questions. You told someone this was the Turner house. You said another name. What was it? I've forgotten. It wasn't anything. It couldn't have been. You lie badly. And you lie a great deal of the time. Don't, Albert. Please, don't bait me. The door. Yes. Hmm. Shall I? No. No, I'll get it. Hello, Mercy. You. It is you. Oh, you. You. I tried to warn you. I called, but then I lost my nerve. I froze. Oh, Mercy. Mercy. Mercedes? Who's at the door? Mercedes? Come in, Hugh. Who is it? it it's someone who... Albert, it's someone who... It's all right, Mercy. It's all right. Well, if you're through kissing my wife, come in and let me get a look at you. Come in, darling. Come in. Well, introduce us, my dear. I'm Hugh Rohan. Am I supposed to know you? Mercy, didn't you tell... Hugh's my... I thought he'd been killed in Vietnam. Rohan? Oh, of course, that's the name you said on the phone. The last time I saw Mercy, she was my wife. Your wife? Mercedes, is that so? Yes. I was Hugh's wife. Long ago. <laughs> did you just forget to tell me, my dear? Slip your mind, did it? That you were already married when you jumped into my bed? Don't talk to her like... I wasn't married. I'd obtained an Enoch Arden decree. You divorced me? Well, then, at least you're not a bigamist. Whatever else you might be. Why, Mercy? Why did you Seven do... Seven years, Hugh. They said you were missing in action, presumed dead. I waited seven years, darling. For a con. What? <laughs> you waited seven years for a convict. Missing in action? <laughs> Don't make me laugh. <laughs> Hugh, what does he mean? I mean he's a con. He has the stink of prison all over him. Haircut, prison issue shoes. Unless he's anemic, he hasn't seen the sun all those seven missing in action years. What's he talking about, Hugh? Put that phone down. Oh, my dear phony fellow, it's my duty as a public-spirited citizen to tell the police there's an escaped con in my living room. Put it down. If you come near me, I'll blow your head off. Put that gun away, Albert, please. 
Please put the gun away. Operator. <laughs> Albert? He's dead. You shot him. He was going to call the police and spoil it. I waited seven years, Mercy. Seven years! But he's dead. What will happen to us? I don't remember if I'd ever seen a dead body before. But Hugh faced the matter as though it were almost commonplace. He hung up the phone, which had fallen to the floor, and then closed Albert's eyes. He would have separated us again. I couldn't let him do that. Was it true? What he said about you? No. We can't stay here. Then we'll leave. You take what you need, and we'll leave together. No. Not yet. What? I can't leave until tomorrow. We'll need money. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. All right. Uh, I'll stay with you until morning. No, you have to leave now while it's dark. Otherwise, someone might see you. But what about him? We'll put him in his room. The maid comes at 10 o'clock. We don't want her to find him right away. All right. Where do you want him? His bedroom. I better answer it. It might be the operator. Maybe she traced his call. Where's, where's his bedroom? Through that door, the room on the, on the right. If that's the operator, tell her everything's fine. We were playing a game and the phone fell off the table. Hello? Al? What? Al there? Albert? Did you want to talk to Albert? Let me talk to Al. Who is it? Is that the operator? Someone wants to speak to Albert. Not Albert, Al. What's the matter? Are you drunk? I want to talk to Alan. Alan Fox. My goodness, can't you understand a simple request? Alan Fox. That's that. You have a wrong number. There's no one here by that name. Oh, I'm most extremely sorry. I thought it was someone, I don't know, someone who heard us or saw us through a window. I was frightened. It's all right. Everything's all right now. We're together. Yes. And we'll always be together because that's how it was meant to be. Go now, while it's dark. I'll get the money in the morning. Then come to the rooming house where I'm staying. Here's the address. I wrote it down so I wouldn't forget. All right. In the morning. Good night. Good night. Before this September 3rd, 1973 debut episode of the Zero Hour over WRVR, 106.7 FM in New York, Colo spent the summer of 1973 traveling around, selling the series to stations in syndication. After that, he was joined by Rod Serling on a promotional tour. I got to know him a little bit. You know, he was a heavy smoker. He was, and at that course, in that time, he smoked on airplanes. And we traveled quite a bit together because we did a lot of promotion for the show. And I was out a lot selling the show, you know, the radio stations. 
And then he and I went out on this promotional tour. So yeah, I enjoyed his company a lot. Actually, um, I remember one incident. He had written something for, I think it was Twilight Zone, but I, but I may be wrong, about a bomb that's placed on an airplane and that when the airplane reaches a certain height, the bomb would explode. It was something in that vein. Well, we landed in, I think it was Salt Lake City, and there were a bunch of reporters there. And in fact, somebody had, was attempting to do exactly what was Rod had written about in this piece that he had done. So they were curious about whether he had, in fact, felt responsible for all that and that kind of stuff. Mm. I do remember that quite vividly. But he was a great guy to travel with. He was very nice and very accommodating to everybody. Radio legend Les Tremaine played Patty Duke's husband, Albert. You know, radio is a wonderful medium. It's a shame that radio drama is what I'm speaking of. It's a shame that it's gone. It did something for actors, and I have said this many times, that was never been done before or since in all of history. For the journeyman actor, the lay actor, it made him an upstanding, homeowning, stay-in-one-place, family-raising, tax-paying, bill-paying. It did all these things for actors who were not big stars. You had a steady salary, and you became famous, and people loved you, and you had... They became so familiar with your voice. It was a great ID point for me in the theater in New York, Mm -hmm. and uh, also when I went into pictures in Hollywood. People didn't know my face particularly, but as soon as they heard the voice, they knew who it was. And it was a great tie-in for me. Telephone operators... Just at random, you pick up yeah. the phone and make a yeah. call, and they say, I know the voice? Mm-hmm. What was that show you were on? You know, <laughs> a lot of older ladies, you know, uh, middle-aged ladies or telephone operators, and they know voices. Traveling around the country, you sign your name on a credit card in a gas station or something, and mm. they remember you. And you have friends everywhere. It's beautiful, not only as an entree to a lot of things, but just the fact that there is a warm feeling in the recollections of the things you did and they heard you do. Your imagination created everything. A drama unfolds every day on WRVR as Arthur Albert presents Connections. Yes, ladies and gentlemen, Quaxer Fortune has a cousin in the Bronx. Yes, Virginia, there is a Santa Claus. And you do have a friend at Chase Manhattan. But you have a real chum in Arthur Albert. The only three-foot-seven-inch telephone talk show host in New York who doesn't mind being Jewish. You simply mustn't miss Connections every weekday morning at 11. Because when you do, Arthur misses you. Three-foot-seven-inch people are sensitive. And even though Arthur is paranoid and occasionally forgets what he's talking about, his program is the stuff that life is made of. And having ended a sentence in a preposition, I rest my case. Connections is heard weekdays at 11 a.m. on WRVR. This offer is void where prohibited, including certain parts of Boise, Idaho. Each weeknight at 7.30, WRVR looks ahead to 1947. It's a nostalgic look at radio entertainment the way it used to be. And now RVR announces a new schedule of old-time radio programs. On Mondays, Sherlock Holmes is back by popular demand. The Lone Ranger continues to ride through every Tuesday along with his Indian companion, Tanto. On Wednesdays, it's The Shadow. The 
that invincible crime fighter with his special powers. Meanwhile, the Green Hornet buzzes on to Thursday to keep crime in its place. And the weekends with the dramas full of adventure and intrigue on the clock. So listen to RBR each weeknight at 7.30. Radio entertainment the way it used to be is the way it is now. As RBR presents original old-time drama radio programs. Not every detective working on a murder in New York City belongs to the Homicide Squad. A detective from the precinct where the killing occurs is also assigned to it. East Vanda's place is in the 19th, and therefore the report of Albert Turner's death came over our desk and I went out on it. The medical examiner and the technical services crew were already there when I arrived. Williams, over here. <coughs> hey, you precinct guys sleep in or what? It's almost noon. Only got it half hour ago. Well, homicide here. Half hour ago. I just got here. Hmm. Oh, this is quite some beautiful layout. Yeah. It's class. Real dough. Who reported it? The maid, Thelma Jordan. She found the body. Uh, Miss Jordan? Turner's her boss. She'll tell you about it. Yes, Mr. Scores. This is Detective Williams here, Miss Jordan, 19th Precinct. He'll be working with me on this. Hello. Uh, tell me where you found Mr. Turner. Well, the poor man was in his bedroom. I... Thought he was asleep, lying in bed, covers all drawn up. He left her alone? Oh, no, sir. They are married. There's a Mrs. Turner? Oh, yes, indeed. Well, where is she? Well, I'm sure I don't know. She wasn't here this morning when I came in. She at work? Oh, no, sir. She don't work. Well, isn't Mr. Turner usually up and around? Oh, yes, sir, but this morning Miss Turner left me a note. Here. Let me see that. Thelma. Mr. Turner wasn't well last night. Don't awaken him. He needs the rest. <laughs> Mercedes Turner. Why'd you finally try to wake him? Well, his office called. Said it was urgent. I went into the bedroom and he was lying there. Okay. Thanks. Were you here last night, Miss Jordan? No. No, last night was my night off. I stayed with my folks. Okay. Thanks. You can go. So leave your things though, will you? Until we've checked everything. Yes, yes, thank you. Dr. Branch from the medical examiner's office. He's with the body. What do you suppose happened to Mrs. Turner? I can't even guess. Morning, Will. Doc. What happened? One shot straight in the ticker. Fully clothed. Suit, shoes, lying under covers. Tell me, doctor. Did you close the eyes? Well, but somebody did. Who? His wife? Remind me to ask her when we find her. Also, how come she didn't notice a dead husband in the bedroom? This is a man's room. Apparently, they had separate bedrooms. How long has he been dead? Well, it's a guess. I'd say since around midnight. Another guess for you, Doc. Possible suicide? Yeah, negative. No powder stains in the front of his shirt. There's at least none I can find without a microscope. Besides, when There's I... There's no gun. That's right. There is one. We haven't found it yet. Uh, another thing, you'll notice that not much bleeding. Probably shot someplace else, then placed in the bed. Any idea where? Uh, possibly. The technical boys found something in the living room. Oh? What? Possible blood stain on the rug. They clipped the sample and they're going to check it. Mm, near the bar by the phone. Yeah. Shot as he was calling someone? Maybe. You know, when I got here, this chair had been pulled up to cover that stain. The boys nearly missed it. Yeah. Oh, uh, Miss Jordan? Yes? 
Uh, listen, does Mrs. Turner have a book where she keeps phone numbers, you know, uh, stores, shops, beauty parlor, places where she might be this morning? Yeah, I'll get it. And, and would you uh, check her things for us, see if anything's missing? Yeah, right, right away. Where do you suppose she is, Will? Hmm? I don't know. Can't even guess. Think maybe something's happened to her? It's possible, Scores. It's very possible. In November 1973, Howard Duff was a guest of Dick Bertell and Ed Corcoran's WTIC Golden Age of Radio program. He spoke positively about his experience with the Zero Hour. Good evening, and with me once again is the man who uh, really makes the program possible with his fabulous collection of recordings, Ed Corcoran. Well, thank you, Dick. That's very nice words. Ed, you know, I'm going to let you introduce our guest tonight because you had the opportunity to uh, meet him prior to the show. Maybe I can start off by asking what your license number is there, One three seven five nine six. What does that mean to you, Dick? <laughs> None other than Sam Spade, alias Howard Duff. Uh, Sam Spade and uh, many other famous roles in both radio, television, movies, and theater, Dick. So we've got another biggie here. Sometime. We certainly have. <laughs> Howard, it's a pleasure to welcome you to the golden age of radio and to put your career in perspective because you are known today by current day audiences on television and motion pictures, on the stage. You're uh, one of the few who had a major career in radio but has gone on to even more exciting things. You mean I've survived. real sense. <laughs> yes. Yeah, that's the it? Hollywood Radio Theater that uh, Elliot Lewis, my old friend and cohort for many years, he feels that there is an audience for radio drama, more or less as we used to do it, and possibly with a few new added stereophonic effects, and we did a show. Each week they're going to take one particular book, I believe, and dramatize it. How did it feel it to, might go, to, to, yeah, to get back behind get back the microphone? Again. Yeah. It looks like I'd never been away. Yeah. And, of course, doing it with Elliot, he's so easygoing, and he knows exactly. He's so well, you know, he's so together, everything. He, we did it the, the, the easy way, and I think the right way. What about uh, writers? What about sound effects people? Where have they all disappeared to? How did you get this thing together again to work? It's amazing. Uh, we had everybody on the show, I guess, uh, all the old radio people that I've ever known, with the exception of Lorraine. I don't know why. how come Lorraine Tuttle wasn't on it. But anyway, Mary Jane Croft, Elliot's wife, and, uh, oh, all kinds of people were on it. <laughs> And it happened so suddenly, all of it. Hugh returned from the dead, holding me in his arms. Suddenly we were young again, and innocent. Then Albert began saying those terrible, threatening things. Of course Hugh had shot him. If I'd had a gun, I would have too. Hugh killed him for me, really. Now we had to get away. I couldn't sleep that night alone in the apartment with Albert's body. In the morning, I gathered some clothes, including my fur coat, left a note for Thelma Jordan, the maid, and hurried to the bank. Mrs. Turner, good morning. How nice to see you. Good morning, Mr. Forrest. How may we serve you? Is Mr. Turner feeling well? Oh, yes, thank you. Would you cash this check for me? Yes, certainly. $4,500. Are you closing your account? Oh, I wouldn't dream of it. No. If you promise you won't tell Albert. Not a word. Well, I'm being terribly extravagant. I simply can't resist a lovely new car, and I promise to pay the difference in cash. <laughs> and surprise Albert. Exactly. Of course. Oh, and uh, while you're getting the cash, I promised Albert I'd bring him some papers he left in our safe deposit box. The money will be here when you get back. Thanks so much. 
Hugh? Mercy? Oh. Oh, Mercy. Oh, Hugh. My love. Here, come in. Leave the bag where it is. Here, here. Let me have your coat. Where have you been? I, I thought... I thought it's too good to be true. She's gone to the police. She's told them what happened. No. No, darling. I withdrew money from the bank and took my jewelry from the safe deposit Doesn't box. matter. Doesn't matter. You're here. That's all that's important. Seven years, Mercy. I waited seven years to be with you. Seven empty years. I, I just don't seem to be able to function without you. Hugh. What did Albert mean? When he called you a convict? Oh, nothing. Forget it. Come on. Come here. Come here with me. Here. Here, sit down. Was it terrible? All those years? I told you. I'm not complete without you. Oh, mercy. We can't stay here, darling. The police will be looking for us. I know. Hugh? Yeah. I felt the same way. Incomplete. All the while you were gone. You're all I I've ever really had, my darling. You're everything that makes me warm and soft. Oh, Hugh. There are certain procedures you set in motion after a homicide. You looked at the deceased's enemies. You question everyone who might know something about what happened at the time of the crime. You make sure the lab is checking fingerprints and possible blood stains, lost bits of hair, anything and everything. My job, you're trying to solve a puzzle. When you first begin, there's nothing there. Yes, sir, I, I certainly will. Hey, who was that? The commissioner. Want to know what we have. They're asking questions upstate, you know. Well, tell me, Will. What has the 19th been able to come up with in how long? Six hours since we got the call? Well, we have a dead man and a missing wife. I called the phone numbers and made found for me, beauty parlor and such. No one's seen her for the last day or so. The lab's pretty sure Turner was shot in the living room. They think that blood stain near the phone will match his type. That's great. Turner's shot in the living room near the phone. With a bullet in his heart, he walks into the bedroom and gets settled down under the covers, which is where he expires. Yeah. Impossible. And there's no gun in that apartment. Suicide is definitely out. Which leaves us at square one. Someone shot Turner in the living room, carried him to the bedroom, shut his eyes then left the premises for who knows where. That, uh, that's someone being Mrs. Turner, huh? That's all we have at the moment. Well, maybe we got a little more, Will. What do you mean? According to the maid, Mrs. Turner's overnight bag is missing, along with a few dresses, shoes and things, mm -hmm. and a fur coat, some bracelets, earrings, etc. Mm-hmm. All right. We'll find the lady. And this is Mercedes Turner. Last seen when? Uh, last night? Yeah, as far as we know. Wearing an overnight bag, wearing a fur coat, and see, uh, height. Uh, uh, you got a picture of her? From the apartment, you mean? Yeah, from the apartment. 
Every dummy in the world has snapshots. Weddings, picnics, holidays, trips, whatever. Not this lady. What? We tore that place apart, Bill. There is no picture of her. We're putting out an all points for Mercedes Turner, and we don't have the faintest idea what she looks like. I don't know if I suggested Patty Duke or how that came about. I do remember being there definitely when she... Uh, was performing, and I remember one scene where she's at, you know, this is radio, and she's crying. I mean, she's basically, tears are coming out of her eyes, and, and then, boy, I'm thinking, wow, that's an actress, you know, mm-hmm. nobody's seeing it, but she's really, really shedding tears, literally. I had a lot of respect for her. Tomorrow at this time, rest your eyes and listen here to this week's continuing study in suspense, The Wife of the Red-Haired Man. I'm Rod Serling, and this is The Zero Hour. You've been listening to the Hollywood Radio Theater's presentation of The Zero Hour. Heard every weekday at this time. Rod Serling is your host. This week, in Bill S. Ballinger's The Wife of the Red-Haired Man, Patty Duke Aston is Mercedes, John Aston is Rohan, and Howard Duff is Detective Williams. Featured in the cast are Harold Gould as Detective Scores, Les Tremaine as Turner, Irene Tedrow as Thelma, Benny Rubin as The Doctor, and Harry Hickox as Forrest. Zero Hour is produced and directed by Elliot Lewis. Jack Myers is the executive producer, and Karen Lee Cohen, associate producer. Music conducted and composed by Stanley D. Hoffman. The Hollywood Radio Theater theme was played by Ferrantian Teicher and is now available on United Artists Records and Tapes. This has been a J.M. Kohler's Enterprises production. Hugh Douglas speaking. Tune in tomorrow, and once again, rest your eyes. And listen here to the Zero Hour. This is Les Davis, WRVR's answer to Lamont Cranston. I can't be seen, but I can be heard. Why don't you join me for music right after old-time radio every weekday at 8 p.m.? 106.7 FM is the magic number. Right, Tonto? Jazz is on WRVR. RVR's got lots of jazz. The jazz place is RVR. Jazzy people listen to us. RVR is jazz. And jazz is in. Jazz is on WRVR. In the morning. In the evening. Have we got jazz? Yeah.